Good morning. It is an honor to be here. Do we have any South Floridians here? South Floridians? All right. And notice I said South Floridians because you get north of Orlando and it's like a whole different state. No offense. So uh, Tampa's, yeah, yeah, it could kind of count. Uh, but really is good to be here. I've heard about Covenant College for a long time. Uh, brought my son Preston here uh, to enjoy our first visit together here at Covenant College. Uh, our associate pastor, Andrew Sigenthaler, is a graduate of Covenant College, along with his children. Uh, the president of our seminary, uh, Knox Theological Seminary, Scott Manor, is a proud graduate of Covenant College. By the way, make a quick plug for Knox Seminary if you are interested in seminary. Not a bad place to spend four years in seminary, Fort Lauderdale, so especially this time of year, so check that out. And your president uh, has become a good friend. Uh, we often, uh, throughout the tumultuous year of 2020, would talk to each other on the phone and text message uh, each other back and forth as we uh, navigated the difficulties of leading larger institutions through 2020 and beyond. And I have a new friend in Grant. And uh, what, a, what a gem, what a, what a uh, treasure that you have here at Covenant College to be under his leadership and to be leading. Yeah. I want to talk briefly this morning about leading and influencing as citizens of the kingdom of God in this cultural moment. Is it possible? Is it possible to operate with a spirit of truth and grace as we navigate a ever rapidly changing culture and society? Now, you, you've often heard people say in the last couple years that it's never been harder, never been worse time to be a Christian. Well, I beg to differ. I think we have to need to have a long view of history. Talk to Christians living in the first three centuries as they were being burned alive and being crucified upside down. Every generation has had to navigate their cultural moment with truth and grace. Every generation has had to navigate what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. So we need to have a long view of history. We have historical precedent. Augustine, as he watched the eternal city of man crumble Rome, he wrote the city of God. And he said, as the barbarians were attacking and sacking Rome, and they saw the proverbial city of man crumble to the ground, emerging out of it was the city of God, the people of God, citizens of the kingdom that were light in the midst of darkness. Throughout history, there's always been two cities, the city of man and the city of God. Both give us a worldview and a philosophy of life, of how to live and how to navigate. The Old Testament is filled with Old Testament heroes of the faith that have navigated their cultural moment and have lived out what we call a public faith. Moses, Abraham, David, Jeremiah, Deborah, Ruth. But one of my personal favorites, and I'd like to look at his life and his ministry briefly this morning, 
is the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 is where we'll be looking. Daniel chapter 1, select verses as we do a brief overview of Daniel's life and ministry to learn what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, living in the city of living as citizens of the city of God in the midst of the city of man. Daniel takes place 600 years before Christ. It's during what is known as the great Babylonian captivity. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes into Israel and destroys Jerusalem and takes leaders, cultural Jewish influencers from Jerusalem to Babylon in captivity and in exile. Why? For the purpose of immersing them in pagan cultural and spiritual beliefs so that they would eventually one day go back to Jerusalem and influence all of Israel to deny their God and to deny their, their citizenship as citizens of the kingdom of God. And I want to look at two brief things this morning. I want to look at the mission of the city of man. We need to understand the, the city in which we live in but then the response of the city of God. We are living in the world, but not of the world. So let's look at briefly, looking at the life and ministry of Daniel, the mission of the city of man, and the response of the city of God. In Daniel chapter 1, if you open up your Bibles with me, right off the bat, we see the mission of the city of man. It says in verse 1 and verse 2, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes into Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim and the king of Judah into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So this is what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar's destroying Jerusalem and taking all of the goods and all of the treasures of the temple and he's bringing it back to Shinar in the heart of Babylon. And what is he doing? He's making a statement, my God's greater than your God. It's a statement of domination. That the the pagan king is saying, I'm the one that reigns. I'm the one that rules. So first you see this picture and this mission of the city of man is a mission of domination. My God beats your God. My God is greater than your God. But then the mission continues. In verses 3 and 4, it says, The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both royal family and nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to do what? To teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. It's re-education camp. In order to influence culture, what the city of man does is not only claims domination, but then takes the what? Takes the cultural influencers, including the youth, and says, bring them into our schools of system and our schools of thought, and we will re-educate them so that they will embrace what we're told in verse 3, our language, and they'll read our literature so that they will fully embrace the philosophy of the city of man. 
That's what's happening today. The city of man is saying, give me your children so that I can shape their minds and their souls, not according to the city of God, but according to the ways and the mission of the city of man. But then it continues. Look at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and wine that he drank. They were educated for three years. What was the king doing? Get them comfortable so they don't want to leave. Give them the best food and the best wine so that the city of God, Jerusalem, becomes an afterthought. Get them so fat and happy they would never, ever want to leave the city of man. And then lastly, we see what happens in verse 7. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. This is the city of man philosophy. Give them new names, a whole new identity, a whole new orientation. If you understand anything about the ancient Jewish culture, a name meant everything. A name was your identity. It was who you, it was who you were. And so give them a complete new identity. Give them a new mission. Give them a new language. Make them comfortable. And give them a completely new identity. What you see with the mission of the city of man, which is no different than it is today in the story of Daniel, this is the mission. It is complete takeover. Now you could stop there and say, it is what it is. It's always been, it always will be. And we walk around in confusion and we make statements like it's never been worse and it's only getting worse. I want to challenge you this morning that I actually think this is an incredibly wonderful time to be a Christian. That I think this is an incredibly, incredible strategic time to be light in the midst of darkness. And as the city of the, as the mission of the city of man has not changed in thousands of years, so should our response not change either. How does Daniel respond? What is the response of the city of God in the midst of the mission of the city of man? In verse 8, continuing in chapter 1, we read, But Daniel resolved, the resolve of Daniel in the midst of persecution, in the midst of takeover, in the midst of being immersed in a pagan culture, it said Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. You see, because Daniel was so convicted that he had a worldview and a foundation that was informed by the infallible word of God, he was so grounded as a citizen of this kingdom of God, he said, it doesn't matter where you place me. You can put me in the trenches of a pagan culture and I will be a light, and I will stand firm because my resolve has been informed by the city of God. 
You see, the non-Christian mind, unaided by the Holy Spirit, cannot do the things of God. It's why we, as citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of the city of God, must always be grounded and rooted, as Paul says, not to the elemental philosophies of this world, Colossians 2, but by what you have learned and by what you have been trained in, that we have a worldview and a grounding in the infallible word of God. It's interesting what happens after we see the resolve of Daniel and his faithfulness. Look what happens. Skip ahead with me to verses 18 and 19 and 20. It says, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs, they brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. This is after years of faithful service, after years of Daniel being inundated with the philosophies of a pagan culture and remaining steadfast and faithful. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said. 19, verse 19, and the king spoke with them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah And therefore they stood before the king, listen to this, and in every matter of wisdom. So Nebuchadnezzar is comparing Daniel, a citizen of the kingdom of God, compared to all of the other pagan citizens, all of the pagan servants. And listen what Nebuchadnezzar says about them. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired about them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Daniel didn't waver. He didn't soften his message. He didn't water down his convictions. And in the midst of all of that, Nebuchadnezzar, the great pagan king of Babylon, says, Daniel, I'll take him over any of my other pagan servants any day of the week. This is what it means to operate with a spirit of truth and grace. It's what Jeremiah talks about, to seek the what? The shalom of the city, the pagan city of Babylon, for if they prosper and flourish, so you prosper and flourish as well. What we see in the life and the ministry of Daniel is city of God people, leading and influencing in and for the sake of the city of man, that we can be winsome and hopeful and joyful and gracious, but at the same time, stand firm on the foundation of that rock that we just sang about. And so the question is this morning, who here are the Daniels and the Jeremiah's and the Deborahs, and the Esthers that will rise up out of this community of Covenant College and go live as citizens of the city of God in the midst of the city of this world. But the question I want to ask you this morning is very simple. Where do you get this courage and this confidence? What would later come in Daniel, in chapters 3 and 4, if you're familiar with the story, we know how the story goes. That Nebuchadnezzar eventually builds a gold statue of himself. 
And he demands everybody, here's the true test of faith, demands that everybody bow down lest they be thrown in the fire. And Daniel makes this profound statement. And he says, whether we burn or whether we stay alive, I know where my salvation is. You see, we see salvation by faith alone, even in the book of Daniel. Daniel's courage and confidence does not come from within. It comes from without. It comes outside of him. You see, he understands that his salvation is secured in God and God alone. Therefore, he says, I live or I die. I burn or I stay alive. My salvation is secure. And that alone is where our courage and our confidence and our power comes from to live faithfully as citizens of the city of God in the midst of the city of man. The trumpet blows and everybody bows down. But Daniel says, I will not bow down to anyone but the true king of kings and the true Lord of lords. You see, it is the age-old reminder and truth that it is for those that understand how the story ends that we can actually live in the present. As believers and citizens of the city of God, we know how the story ends. We know how this hard story of life will ultimately end for those that believe in Jesus Christ. We've read Revelation 21 and 22, but the problem is I see very few Christians taking Revelation 21 and 22 and pulling it into the present. And that's what city of God people do. I take the end of the story and I pull it into the present to allow me to live out the realities For a world that is living in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of brokenness, and in despair. We need to have a long view of history, but understand how the story ends. Because it is the only way you and I can survive the gut punches of life and remain standing and remain strong. A few years ago, We experienced personal tragedy in our family. We lost our three-year-old daughter suddenly, not expecting it at all. I lost a daughter, and Preston lost his sister. And it's one of those moments in life as a pastor where all of the theology and all of the training and all of my Christian upbringing all of a sudden came to a head. And I had to ask myself, do I really believe? Do I really believe in the midst of brokenness and suffering how this story will end? And it was only the reality of our future hope and glory that I was able to navigate, that my wife was able to navigate, that as a family we were able to navigate the valley of the shadow of death and be here today standing to tell you about it and to share my heart the only way we can navigate this dark, hard world to navigate and to live in the midst of the city of man is to live with a future hope, a future glory. This is what Paul meant when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power to save 
and the power to sustain us, to bring us through faithfully, winsomely, with both grace and truth. Robert Louis Stevenson was the great Scottish author. And Robert Louis Stevenson tells of the story growing up where here he would peek out his window at night and he would see the lamplighters coming down the street. You know, the Mary Poppins movie. And they would climb up their ladders and they would light the lamps each evening. And one night he comes to his mom and he says, look, look at the lamplighters. They're punching holes in the darkness. Covenant College, we have an opportunity to go punch holes in the darkness, to bring light where there is darkness, hope where there is brokenness, and life where there is death. Grounded with the truth, empowered by the grace and by the Holy Spirit of the living God, may we go out as citizens of the kingdom of God in the midst of the city of man and together go punch holes in the darkness. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, as we navigate what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of God in the, in the midst of the, this cultural moment, may we be both bearers of truth and grace. May we understand from the life of Daniel that it wasn't his power or strength or wisdom but he was empowered by the good news that God alone saves. Daniel knew how the story ended and he would bring that end of the story into the present. May we live with such confidence and courage, boldly proclaiming your good news for the sake of all people so that the whole world might know that you alone save, that you alone are our only hope in life and in death. And it's, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.